Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the life conversion of Enoch from Genesis 5 and contrast that with the conversion of Paul the Apostle. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, that you have not left us without, Lord, your, your, your testimony, Lord, without the record, without, Lord, the means by which you speak to our hearts. You have so much to say to us, Lord Jesus, and yet you said, but you're not ready. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that we would be ready to hear from you and receive from you the blessing that comes through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, if you follow along here in uh, Genesis chapter 5, 24, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived 180 and seven years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and two years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and nine years, and he died. And Lamech lived 180 and two years and begat a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 590 and five years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 770 and seven years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Chapter 6, verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. All right? Now, last week we saw this second great practice of the people of God that made them different from the people without God. And that practice was started by a man named Enoch. And it says he walked with God in verse 24. Enoch walked with God. That was the great practice of the people of God. That's what made them distinctive. That's what made them different from the other people. It says in chapter 4, verse 26, that the first thing that made them different from the other people was this man named Enos, who was born to Seth, and it says that when he came, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And Enoch walked with God, and Enos called on the name of the Lord. And Enoch was not, for God took him. And last week we imagined, we were kind of joking around, but if we had our little eastward seat there, and we sat down, Enoch's psychotherapist. 
And we asked him what was Enoch like, and if we just imagine that if he said, oh, Enoch, what a worrier he was, you know, he always was worried about dying. You saw people dying and worried about that he was going to die, and we worried about when he was going to die, and how he was going to die, and, you know, and of course we know it didn't happen, and we would have said, Enoch, you fool, what are you doing? You're worrying about something that's not going to happen, and how often that happens with us. We just spend our time worrying about that. But what was so amazing about Enoch was that he discovered something that was not known before. And what he discovered was that it was possible for a man to walk with God. That that was within the realm of possibility. And so, you know, again, we set the chair there and Enoch comes sit down there and I'll talk to us a little bit, Enoch. And Enoch, you know, tell me what was, if we asked him, what was the most amazing truth that you learned in life? And without hesitation, Enoch would say to us, well, let me tell you, the most amazing thing I have discovered in life is that it was possible for me to walk with God. You can't believe it. That's what Enoch would say. You just can't believe it. I found out that my life could be like a continual companionship with God. That in my life I could be always walking with God. That was amazing for me to discover it. It absolutely changed my life. It absolutely transformed me. And we might say to Enoch, well, Enoch, were you born this way, walking with God? I mean, can you remember a time when you didn't walk with God? Did you always walk with God? You know, I kind of probe into that when question. And to that response, Enoch would respond, of course not, he would say to us. What's the matter with you? Don't you read Genesis? <laughs> Let's say 5, 21 and 22. It says, Enoch lived 65 years, then he began Methuselah. And then he says, Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah, see? So in other words, Enoch say, look, my life completely changed when I was 65 years old. He said, the first chapter one of my life was not walking with God. And then when my son was born, that was the time when I started to walk with God. And I walked with God, and that was chapter two of my life. You call that chapter walking with God. Chapter one, not walking with God, 65 years. Chapter two, 300 years, walking with God. And this is so wonderful. He said, I was walking with God, and I took one step one day, and I ended up in heaven, and I'm still walking with God. And so then we would ask uh, about, well, what happened to you when you were 65 years old that made you want to walk with God? And Enoch might say to us, you know, life before, it was okay, the 65 years. I mean, it was okay, but it was not enough. You know, I knew God. I was a part of the people of God, and I, along with all my people, we were calling on the name of the Lord. We were praying people, but there was just something about my life that was just not enough. See, that's what the key thing is for him. Just not enough. Somehow, you know, it was just kind of all about myself. I was sort of sick of myself. Somehow, I was lonely, and I felt that I only had myself to talk with in my life. I just wanted less of me, more of God. And so I said to myself one day, you know, I wonder if I could get closer to God. 
I wonder if that would be possible. I wonder if I could have a life where every moment I was in the presence of God, I knew it that I was in the presence of God, that he would be like a constant companion to me. If I could just start a conversation with God that never ended. You know, if I could pick up the receiver on the phone to God and never put it down. I wonder if that could happen. I wonder if I could just have a life with God that was so open, that was so honest, where I would be that way with God, and God would be that way with me, and he would teach me, and we could just have that kind of life together. That's different, see, than what he had in his first 65 years. And he could say, look, I knew about praying. I knew about calling on the name of God. I did that. But this time, I called on the name of God, and I asked if I could be a temple of God. If I could be the temple of God where God would live. See? And to my great surprise, Enoch would tell us, he did. God made my body the temple in which he lived. And that's what Enoch would say to us if we talked to him, we interviewed him, and he would tell us that this great change happened in his life when he was 65 years old. Even though he knew God, this was not a question of knowing God. And then he'd say, look, I had 300 wonderful years on earth in which I walked with God, and you can't compare the 300 years that I walked with God with the 65 years that I didn't. Because it's like night and day. That's what he'd say. And this night and day experience is what Paul referred to when he asked the question, turn to it, please, 1 Corinthians 3.16, where Paul is asking the question, and he says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, know, and that's a very important word, know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. That's a very valid question that God wants each one of us to answer that for ourselves today. He's looking at each one of us, and God is saying, do you know this? Are you consciously aware? That's the question. Are you consciously aware that your body is the temple of God? Are you consciously aware that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, you know, somebody might say, well, look, you know, I received the Lord as my Savior. I remember it so well. I wrote down the date. I said the words. I raised the hand. And so I'm saved. And then God would say, I'm not asking you that. And some might say, look, I know that the Bible says that the Spirit of God came into my heart when I received the Lord Jesus Christ. So I believe that he did come into my heart when I was saved. And God would say to that, that's not what I'm asking you. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you if you believe that your body is the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you. This question is asking, are you consciously aware that your body is the temple of God? Are you consciously aware that the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's why Paul says, know ye not. That's the word aido, which means in the Greek there, to see or to be aware of. Do you see 
that your body is the temple of God? Are you seeing it that way? Are you aware of that? He didn't use the word posteo from 1 John 5.13, these things have I written unto you that believe, posteo. He didn't say, do you believe this? He said, do you see this? Are you aware of this? He says that. So he's not asking what they believe, Paul. He's asking what they're aware of. And Paul is asking the question, do you see that you are the temple of God? Do you see that the Spirit of God is dwelling in you? Are you aware of it? Are you aware of the fact that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God is dwelling in? That's the issue. It's not an issue of what you believe. It's an issue of what you see, of what you are aware of, how you see yourself. Then the next not logical question that Paul would ask is, okay, so you say that you are aware that you are the temple of God and you do see that the Spirit of God is dwelling in you. So if this is true, then he would just say that. What difference has it made in your life? How is your life different or how is your life guided or what influence does your seeing this have on your life? What specific ways or times in your life has seeing that you are the temple of God, being aware that the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, how has it made a difference? How has it changed? How has it influenced you? Tell me about them. That's what Paul would say. If we would ask Paul what differences has made in your life, then Paul would say, oh, you know, he'd say, let me tell you. That's what he'd say. It has made a difference in my life. So turn to, if you would, Galatians 1.15. Now, keep in mind that we're talking about this dramatic change that happened in Enoch's life when he was 65 years old. This is what we're talking about. Enoch came to understand that he was the temple of God and the Spirit of God lived in him and he walked with God. So here's Paul speaking about the same thing that happened. And he says in Galatians 1, 15 through 18, he says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which are apostles before me, but I went into Arabia, of all places, and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. So Paul would say, You know, God loved me even when I was born. I didn't know it, but I didn't realize how much God loved me, but he loved me from the time I was born. And then came a day on the road to Damascus when I heard the voice of God calling to me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? In Acts 9, 4. And then Paul could say, and I realized With that voice, God was calling me by his grace. I was out to kill Christians, his people. I was persecuting him. So it was the grace of God when I heard from heaven, Saul, Saul. It was the grace of God I wasn't reduced to a pile of ashes on the road to Damascus. It was the grace of God. And he says, he called me by his grace. And he called me by my name. And I was saved on that road, when I called the Lord Jesus Christ, when I called him God, I said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Acts 9, 6. And I was saved at that point. Tom, why is it so important to call 
the Lord Jesus Christ God. I mean, isn't it enough to call him just good or a teacher or a prophet? We hear so many people on television today saying, I thank God or, you know, thanks, God, I thank you for this award or this certain thing that's happened to me. But why is it so important to call him the Lord Jesus Christ versus just God? You know, knowing God is really to answer the question, who is the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, I always have made it a practice to say his full name rather than just to call him Jesus or just to call him Christ or just to call him Jesus Christ. I've always made it a practice to call him the Lord Jesus Christ, to emphasize that the Lord part, in other words, the deity of him, the fact that he is God. And that's why this verse in Matthew 16 is so, these verses in Matthew 16 are so vital. What you find here is it says when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. That's interesting because when he came into these coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he's coming into a Roman town. That's actually the name, Caesar there, Caesar, Caesarea, Caesar, Philippi. So he's coming into this Roman town where they had all their Roman gods. They had all their false gods. They had all their idols. And so he's coming in here and he says, now, in essence, he's saying, now you've got got a full background here of of all these idols here that the Romans are following. And he asked his disciples, whom do men say that I am? So what's he doing right here that I, the son of man, am? What he's doing is he's asking them not who they say he is, but who do others people say that he is? And so as he begins to get the survey of responses, say, and they said some, say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So here we have the whole plethora of here. We have a whole smorgasbord, a whole palette. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elias, some say Jeremiah, some say one of the prophets. And you stand back and you say to yourself, what does that all mean? They were confused. There was not a unanimity. There was not an agreement as to who he was. And that's what he was bringing out. He's saying, now look, If you think that you're going to find out from others, in other words, others who say that I am, and some are going to say John the Baptist, some will say Elias, some will say Jeremiah and the prophets, he says, you're going to be misled. And so then he turns right to them and he says, saith unto them, but whom, but... Don't you love that? But, in other words, stop with everybody else's opinions. Stop with what they all say. And now I'm asking you, who do you say that I am? In other words, what's your response? And there, they're going to rely on what they know individually about him from him. And that's a key there. If anybody is going to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to know the Lord Jesus Christ because he has learned from the Lord Jesus Christ who he is. He's going to know who he is by direct finding because that's what the Bible means when it says, you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. And so Peter reaches down into the depths of his soul in verse 16, and Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. There's absolutely no question at all in Peter's mind as to who he is. And notice Simon Peter did not say, well, I say, or well, we say that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He didn't say that. He said, it doesn't matter what I say or what we say. The truth of the fact of the matter is, you are the Messiah. 
You are God the Son. You are the God, the living God, the Son. That's who you are. You are a member of the Elohim. You are God the Son. And that's the response, and that's